one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on in Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, the tall, dark, handsome thing that I am. (laughs) And I'm the joyful ear of reason and helpfulness, who is Jacqueline Berto. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who are not sure if you signed up for all this (laughs) angst. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Naila Ahmed, who delivered another excellent set ranging from Jilly Cooper-esque equine romance through Kate being Kate to the nail-biting tension of Thursday and Friday. This week we have calls from... Jen, who is not impressed by Jacob's treatment of sarcoids. Bernadette, who's not too happy with the way Rob's demise has been handled. Darcy, who wonders whether Rob might have had a cunning plan. Christopher, who wants to talk about Alan. Brian, who was impressed by Friday's episode. Ditsy of Darrington, who takes me to task. Witherspoon, who enjoyed a two-act drama. Catherine, who has questions about the lack of end-of-life care in Borsetshire. And finally, Jennifer, who just wants to be like Joy this week, don't we all? Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook by Rob, and the three Twitter gongs, bronze, silver and gold, from Theo. But before Jacqueline and I start chatting too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened this week with a roundup of the week in Ambridge from our Suey. Hello, lovely people. It's Suey, Queen or Tart on the Twitters, and on Blue Sky. Although, as usual, I haven't written a word this week on either of them. It's been a week with a lot of questions. I have many things I'd like to know the answers to. But I will start by saying that Joy is a thoroughly all-round good egg who has memorised all the cards in the shop and what they say inside so that she can help people choose them. What a love. Helen should have let Jack take his own card and not try to buy a get-well card for Rob. Rob's not going to get well. Joy took Helen and Jack to see him and Jack refused to go in mostly because he hadn't taken his card with him. Could Helen not have mentioned it on the way out? Kate was a clot, so nothing new there. She wouldn't run a yoga session for the church to avoid getting written out of Peggy's will. She made Jacob dress up in fancy dress and then borrowed a sari from Usha to be in a gladiator. It just all makes no sense. Cultural appropriation or what? She hadn't bothered mentioning the fancy dress to anybody else who was going to Rory's party and so Jacob was mortified to discover that they were the only two in fancy dress. He was, I must say, super restrained and did not threaten to leave her. Instead, his bombshell was that he's going to help Usha with the Christmas production. That should be fun. Alice, in the meantime, was thinking with Lillian about whether to buy a bit of Grange Farm. They could build an equine therapy retreat. And Alice has got a new friend, Harry Chilcott, who did some very soapy tropey stuff and is being set up to be her new beau, and is an expert on equine therapy, or something such like. Usha and Alan went to Diwali in Birmingham, and we got to hear Shiv again. Hooray! Next year, they might celebrate at the vicarage. Oh, I do hope so. And I do hope that Peggy spontaneously can boss when she finds out. 
Oh, and I suppose we need to say, Rob tried to get Helen to put an end to it by smothering him with a pillow, but she refused to do it, and instead went home with Joy and Pat for fish finger butties. I'm sure that's all going to end well. Ta-ra! Thank you, Suey, for that roundup. Brilliant as usual. So, Jacqueline, what have you been up to this week? Well, it's been a fish finger butty kind of week for me. I've needed comfort food. I've been working with the social services on a hoarder's house, and that has been stomach-turning, to say the least. And I've lost a very close friend this week, so it's been a bit of a funny... I need comfort food and gin, I think. How about you? So, this is week has been week two of the kitchen renovation. Yeah, yeah. Which has been... It's felt a bit slow-moving. The real action starts next Wednesday when they start bringing in the new kitchen. The biggest problem was actually yesterday when I got home and they'd finally managed to clear everything out of the kitchen, including a fridge freezer that had been hanging around since the start that they hadn't been able to move because of other things in the way. And that had allowed them to oil the floor, put sealant down on the floor in the kitchen, which needed 10 hours to dry. And the kitchen lies between me and not only my entire collection of alcohol or my gin and the coffee machine, but also the central heating controls. And the central heating was off because every time they turn the power on or off to do anything on the electrics, it triggers the central heating system automatically to turn to off. And I couldn't get at it to turn it on. So I was freezing with no nothing to drink all last night. That sounds like an absolute disaster, especially after Friday's episode of The Archer. Uh, yes, I could have done with something to, to deal with that. But it, all is fine now. I got in you there this morning. You get onto the floor today, have you? I've got to cross the floor. Oh, the other thing that was in there, yes, my coffee machine and anything for making hot drinks as well. So I didn't have any easy hot drinks last night available to me, but I was able to make a coffee this morning. I think I'd have gone to the pub if I was you. I was right. tempted. Anyway, that's enough about us. Let's get on to the important bit, which is you, our lovely caller in us. Hello, tiger. Mm. And first up, we have our Jen. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dumland. I don't know how the Jack storyline is going to play out, but I'd just like to say this, and it's Jack seeing Rob is not about rewarding Rob. Him not seeing Rob is not about punishing Rob. It's not about what's best for Helen in the future and will Jack blame her if she doesn't allow it. It's about Jack. The whole thing should always have been about Jack and what's in his best interests and his long-term interests. They should have got professional help early on, and I think it's a real shame that he didn't get a couple of highly supervised short visits for his own identity formation, for his long-term mental health, early on before it got to this crisis point. So that's all I have to say about this. It should have been looked at from the beginning around the most important person, and the most important person is Jack. Action at the stables. We had a little bit of a giggle in this house at Yakult treating a sarcoid with the steroid cream. For those of you who like the little academic tips, sarcoid in horses and sarcoid in humans is completely different. In horses, it's a particularly nasty, aggressive skin tumour, which is a nightmare to treat, usually involves surgery, and even then can be a problem. I do wish they'd just do better Google searches, put and horse on, it'll work better. I think the new business idea is potentially a good thing. Apart from being the usual Ambridge thing where they decide to drop a few million just on a whim, it is potentially a win-win. Horse Spa is more of a rehabilitation centre. It's not really like Champneys or whatever. Essentially what they are is boarding facilities that do all the physiotherapy for horses who've got a strained tendon. So break them going around the cross-country course and then change them over to the spa facility and keep coining it while you put them on the treadmill or whatever. So great, yeah. Could be good news for Yakult. We'll see what develops. Ah, great call, Jen. As soon as I heard Jacob talking about the treatment of the horse, I thought Jen is going to call in about that. She definitely had a view early on after the accident. and But thank you for updating us. And it is interesting to have experts looking at these scripts. We hate to criticise the script writers, but as Jen says, a bit of Googling might have helped there. It's just, it seems like a basic error to me, but interesting. Anyway. And it was quite a relief to hear Cub and Kate this week. I've, I loved that exchange. I despise Kate and I don't know, I don't know how puts up with her but uh, yeah Jacob as a vet needs to work harder on his finishing thesis I think. When Jen mentioned action at the stables my first thought wasn't the sarcoids 
it was the arrival of Harry Chilcott in oh, full yes. Rupert Campbell Black style, <laughs> tall, dark, handsome stranger turning up and attempting to sweep her off her feet. But I think that's going to be quite a long running thing. And I think that it's going to be interesting. I suspect that Alice's nervousness about socializing with him is to do with the fact that she is a recovering alcoholic, isn't, I suspect, ready to tell a complete stranger that. So when they go for a a date or go for, I suspect lunch is going to be safe. But if they were to go out in the evening, she would have to explain why she wasn't drinking, or at least she would feel that she had to explain. These days, though, as I understand it, young people drink much less than our generation. Yeah, I think our generation, it would be automatic, a glass of uh, something and a gin and tonic to kick off even a lunch date in our days. Yes, though. Sadly at work. Well, no, not sadly at work. Probably a good thing at work. We, we don't have any lunchtime drinking where I work. When I first joined the organization 25 years ago, we would often, when we had visitors, we'd take them to a local pub for lunch and have a couple of pints and so forth. And then the afternoon tended to be less productive than it otherwise would have been. These mm. days, none of that. I can't remember the last time anybody off in the UK offered the wine at lunchtime. Though, having said that, when I've traveled abroad in Europe, it's still quite common. Yeah, not that long ago, maybe about three and a half, four and a half years ago, I went to visit a friend who is an English teacher in Gonville in Normandy, and he invited me to go to talk to his students in English, and just so they could hear an English natural voice, and Emily, my daughter, and I, we went and had a good day, and then we were invited to eat in the in the canteen, and in the staff dining room, which is on the top of a cliff with this beautiful view of the sea towards Jersey where we could see, we actually saw dolphins while we were eating, which was surreal. There were bottles of red wine and cider on the table on the, in the teacher's dining room. I thought, oh, you can't see that happening in many school dining rooms nowadays, but interesting. thought for a moment you were going to say that there was wine in a school canteen for the students. I think <laughs> even in France, that's probably a bit too far. But we had probably better get back to the Oh, archers. yes. Sorry, sorry. Got distracted again. Jen mentioned Jack, but I think there'll be plenty of opportunities to talk about what happened in that place this week. So let's move on to our next call, which is from Bernadette. Bernadette Hawks, Archers fan 2015 here. I've really struggled to listen to The Archers this week. I've just heard Thursday's episode of The Archers. I missed the beginning, but as Rob popped up a few times in the episode, I didn't play it again. I get that the SWs and script editors may have felt compelled to kill Rob off. It will certainly end the speculation as to when or whether he would reappear. However, the way he's meeting his demise is terrible. I refer you to Ambridge Pony Club's calling when Rob first reappeared with his diagnosis. I agree with her that he's done nothing for those living and dying with the condition. I was for Jack seeing Rob in controlled circumstances after a professional assessed the situation. I'm now glad he changed his mind. I do not understand why Helen felt compelled to visit him. Is she still fascinated and entranced by Rob? From listening to this episode, it would appear that she is. Having said that, some women who have lived with DV and or coercive control do continue to be fascinated by the perpetrator, but to portray Helen in this way is not helpful for survivors of these kind of relationships. The worst part of this episode, which I did not expect, was Rob's request that Helen help him to end his life. I understand that this type of request happens in real life, but even in The Archers as a docudrama, as I recall Royfield describing it, I think it was a step too far. Thank you for that call, Bernadette. I wanted to first talk about what you said about the way that Rob's death has been brought about. He's suffering from glioblastoma, and you mentioned that Jen had called in in the past, and we've had other comments saying that it's really not great if an illness that people suffer from is portrayed as a punishment in drama because glioblastoma is a completely untreatable form of cancer and it can affect people at any age. And there are, I know there are people who listen to The Archers and who listen to this podcast who have lost children to glioblastoma and that must be absolutely horrific. And then to see it portrayed as the way that Rob is punished for his behavior towards Helen is extremely difficult, extremely challenging, and very upsetting for people for whom it directly applies. I don't know how you can give somebody a some sort of fatal illness without there being people for whom that has a really strong echo. And I've said in the past, I, I think that it was a mistake to bring him back anyway. 
I think that he was always far more effective as a monster inside Helen's head than here. But I do understand that the program wanted to end the story one way or another so that they're not constantly plagued with, oh, is Rob coming back? Who is Rob coming back? I think that him dying off stage in America might have been better. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Stephen, uh, on many levels there. The speculation about when he was coming back, it started with that window and then the shotgun, pigeons, pat, shooting pigeons, people's flights of fancies take hold. I have to agree with Bernadette on one level that, yeah, this pillow thing and him demanding that she, at the end of Thursday's evening, was, I felt a step too far. It really felt like one of those EastEnders type of moments, other soaps are available. But when we listened to Friday, the story went on and then you realised the point of the him attending on Thursday with him saying, take the pillow and smother me, because it gave Helen the strength to say, no, do it yourself, as you said to me. And I found it very, very powerful. I found it quite an emotional listen, both the Thursday, but especially Friday. I think it was very, very well done as far as the actors and the writing was concerned. And uh, But I do understand that punishing Rob with an illness, especially a cancer, which is inoperable, which so many people have lost people with, is a very, very difficult line. And it's not even really made us aware of that cancer. Sometimes these stories, like the sepsis story, made us aware of sepsis. But yeah, it's, it's been a difficult week and I know that it's, uh, it's one of those that old adage, it's not, you can't please all of the people all of the time. So there's always going to be somebody who's upset by the way something is portrayed. And I think we just have to trust that they meant well and that, as you say, they've drawn a line under the Rob story, we hope, as long as he doesn't have dying throws in public on, on Sunday. I think we've probably heard the last of Rob himself, but let's not get ahead of herself too oh, yeah. much because there are, there are more calls that address what happened on Friday and uh, I think that Bernadette called in only after Thursday's episode. Now she was concerned about Rob asking Helen to smother her with a pillow. Somebody else who had a thought about that particular incident was Darcy. Hi this is Darcy from Northern California. By the way quick shout out to Tracy. I used to live in Oakland myself. Calling in about two items. Number one in consideration of the granny's recent bickering over who will inherit whose homes, question remains, who will inherit from Oliver? And number two, regarding Rob's last, hopefully, request for Melon, is it not plausible that Rob has hidden cameras in his bedroom and is hoping that Helen will take the bait, or pillow, and smother him so that she can be then be charged with his murder? Ultimate payback. Rob made it clear that the nurse is gone. And Mel's won't be coming by anytime soon. Who would know? Thank you. Bye. Mm. Well, I love the Grundy's part, Darcy. Yeah. Oliver does have a daughter, but in the UK, you can disinherit your children. You can leave everything to somebody else. So who knows? I think it's all a mystery, isn't it? What Oliver will do was doing his will. But yeah, Helen and the pillows. I love this. As a flight of fantasy, I thought it would be a, that would be a step far too far to have cameras filming her. But as you say, the ultimate Machiavellian end of Rob actually getting Helen put away for murder. Yeah, I, I love the idea of that story. Thank you very much for making the effort, Darcy, to ring in with much encouragement from me and Stephen. I think we bullied you into it. Darcy is a very big stalwart on the Facebook page. If you want to see and hear some more of her musings, you should make sure that you're signed up to our Facebook page. Yes, thank you, Darcy, for that. I think that we know now that Rob probably didn't set anything up like that. However, if he dies over the weekend, Miles is still around. And I know that Miles has been avoiding coming to see Rob while he's alive, but I'm pretty firmly of the view that Miles will kick up some sort of fuss after his death. And I think we'll be hearing from him next week. And I can't imagine that that's going to run smoothly. So I think personally that we've heard the last of Rob, that he will, by the time of Sunday's episode, he will have died. But I don't think that the story will be quite finished. However, I suspect that what will happen will be more traditional Archer's villain villainy than the whole Rob, slightly too soapy, slightly too dominant, but brilliantly delivered villainy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Next up, we have the first of the calls that came through after 
Friday's episode, and that was from Christopher. Hello, everybody. It's Christopher here. Uh, uh, I'm just having a wee dram this evening to recover after uh, this evening's drama. Uh, it's Friday. I've just listened to this evening's episode. I imagine you'll get loads of calls about that, but I'm not going to speak about that. I'm actually going to speak about Alan um, as a character that I felt most moved by. He was so down. He was so down. He felt so downcast and, and negative, which was very unlike him. And then he was reawoken by the Duvali celebrations. And some might see that as an irony, that, that it was a, it was at that festival that really kind of gave his spirit such a great lift. I don't see it necessarily as, a, a, as an irony. But, but what he must remember, with all this palaver with Peggy and the boycott and all the rest of it, what he has to remember is that Peggy does not understand Christianity. She doesn't understand forgiveness. She doesn't understand charity or duty or service. She thinks charity is pumping money into something, and that is not what it is. And Alan understands that, and Harrison understands that. But Peggy does not have a Christian bone in her body. So so I'm really rooting for Alan in the weeks that come, and we'll see how that goes. Cheerio. Thank you for that call, Christopher. And yes, it's been interesting hearing what Alan has been through recently, both with her dropping her support for St. Stephen's and encouraging other people to do the same. And then the Diwali celebrations. Diwali used to be a fairly regular thing in the Archers, and certainly the last time we heard Shiv, which was 23 years ago, that was Diwali. It's been more than 7,000 episodes between Shiv's last appearance on the programme and, and his appearance wow. this week. That Wasn't that weird? Because I only mentioned him last week, and then he appeared. And, and I'm not a... I'm absolutely steadfast, not a looker forward. I never look at what's coming in the week. I don't even look on the report, the readout, the thing about the actual episode that I'm about to listen to. I just listen to the thing and then think yeah. about it afterwards. Weird. Absolutely. One of the things that was discussed a bit in the, the Facebook group was the balance between addressing Remembrance Sunday last Sunday and Diwali. And both, I think, got a fair look in. It was made mm. clear that Alan had taken two Remembrance Day services, which is quite a challenge given that they tend to be very much focused on the two minutes of silence at 11 mm. o'clock but he somehow managed to do something else which also marked remembrance sunday so there was that and then there was the the diwali celebration in wolverhampton with shiv and i hope auntie satya because we haven't heard anything about auntie satya we no. last heard from her 15 years ago when alan and usha had their hindu wedding and, yeah. and that was the last time we heard her speak she must be getting on a bit I believe that she's indestructible because she's an Indian auntie and Indian aunties are always indestructible. Absolutely. I actually loved the contrast between Peggy and raking in the other villagers and Joy saying she didn't feel she could, she felt guilty about not going to church, etc. Because that, to me, that just summed up what is bad about the way Christians in small villages, maybe that's a generalisation, but I hate this idea that someone with a bit of money can influence uh, a few other people, which isn't anything to do with Christianity. And so the contrast between that and the joyfulness of, of Diwali, which is all about the festival of light and combating darkness, I as uh, Christopher says, it could have been meant ironically, but I took it completely seriously that it was a, a view to showing us there's more in the world than little small-minded biddies in cottages. Yes, I think Peggy probably would like to go back to the time in the back in the 19th century when livings, the post of a, a clergyman, were in the gift of the, the local landowner. And uh, I'm sure that Peggy would like to think that she should have some say in, in who the vicar of St. Stephen's is, having been disappointed very severely by the decision to bring in Janet Fisher by merging the, the Ambridge parishes into mm. Darrington, and then further disappointed now by Alan, who having succeeded in her mind because he has the right type of chromosomes, now letting her down badly by doing his duty to a parishioner. Ah, yeah. Ridiculous. Silly old bat. Less we hear of her, the better. Ha ha. Indeed. Oh, and one thing we didn't hear, though, which is interesting, Kate mentioned her, didn't mention that at the beginning of the week it was her 99th birthday. I know, I noticed you'd spotted that. You'd have thought that somebody would mention, alongside Rory's 21st and Brian's 80th, Peggy's 99th. No, it's not the 100th. 
But the fact she's having a birthday that very week, and yet Kate talked about her without mentioning anything about the birthday, yeah. uh, and Lillian didn't mention it either, nor Alice, and those are all fairly close relatives of Peggy, but Kate obviously is one who actually lives with her. It's interesting, Stephen. I reckon that you'll be retiring from your current job soon and be taken on by the Archers team as a continuity person for all these little facts that they miss. <laughs> they better not ask me, they'll ask you, definitely. Let's move on to our next call, and that's from Brian. Hello all, it's Brian. I was in Sainsbury's listening to the Archers on Friday. Other supermarkets are available. I uh, had to stop what I was doing to listen to it. So well done. I'm sure we got loads of calls about this one today, but it was so well done. Writing was really tight and well constructed and the acting was from both Helen and Rob characters were really top form. We must have really enjoyed doing that. That, um, that those scenes. Well, even to the end, Rob was trying to manipulate Helen and I think he just took it too far. Relieved that Helen didn't go into the, uh, what he wanted her to do, which would have been too melodramatic, even for the archers. So that was really good. Rob did tell you a few things, how the element of truth that Helen were those sunk in. I think it was significant that Helen's last thing was saying before the episode closed was, oh, let's go and get something to eat, which is a turnaround. Perhaps you should see a new side to Helen now. Perhaps she'll, hopefully, we'll find her a bit more sympathetic in future. Who knows? That would be a turnaround. But I think that's all. I'm sure you've got loads of calls about this one. Friday's episode, so I'll leave it at that. Nice to talk to you. Bye for now. Bye. Oh, thanks for that, Brian. Good to hear from you again. We haven't heard from you for a few months now. Yeah, I think, as we said earlier, it was very well done, especially Friday's episode. Now, are we going to be more sympathetic to Helen in the future? What a loaded question. Because I think we've already said, actually, we feel sympathetic towards her, but we don't like her. We shall have to see. But I like the idea of going off to her suggesting, let's eat, have you eaten at one o'clock in the morning. That shows a fortitude. Maybe it was a symbolic thing, but yeah, good ending for me. Whether we're more sympathetic to Helen or not, I think is going to depend very much on how she behaves following the death of Rob. Will that be a great lifting of pressure from her after all these years of chaos? Or will it just be another thing that has happened this wasn't the only thing that has caused Helen to be the the person that she was and she's already had the disastrous relationship with Greg and some of the fallout from that when Annette came to stay uh, and Annette decision to have an abortion triggering Helen to get pregnant through artificial insemination with the result being Henry so it's not automatic this will change Helen And I think how we see Helen will depend very much on her behaviour. But it might be that when it comes to villains at Bridge Farm, she might slip back behind Natasha because we haven't heard anything about Natasha, Fallon, the tea room and the EV charging station for a very long time. Mm. And I think that we need that story to come back now that we finally got rid of the Rob story, or at least we're getting very much into the end game and the sort of epilogue to the Rob story, which I think next week will bring us. Yeah, fingers crossed. Dying to know how Fallon is going to handle that, how Emma's going to handle it, and what kind of nastiness Natasha will bring out and lead Tom by the nose into. Yes. So there's plenty there. And to be honest, my main feeling about Helen is probably I think we need a rest from her for a while and let things settle down and then we'll come back and see how she's getting on. Yeah. Silent Helen for a while, please. So those were the first five calls. There are more where they came from, and we'll hear those very soon. Now, if you would like to become a caller in like Jen, Bernadette, Darcy and the others, you would be more than welcome. There are three ways you can get involved. The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com forward slash dumpty dum. And don't forget that T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a message via WhatsApp on 07810-012-881 or plus 44 and remove that first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. Or finally, we do have an email address you can contact us on if you'd rather write to us with your views. Maximum of 250 words, please. And The email address is dumptdum at mail.com. 
And do bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute. Don't worry about trying to write all that down now, as we've provided links to those three ways of contributing in the show notes for this episode. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, let's get back to our calls. And next up is Ditsy from Darrington. Hello, you two. Ditsy of Darrington here. Just wanted to say, first of all, actually, I wanted to take Stephen to task slightly for what he mentioned last week about the fact you said that not a month goes by without Pat mentioning John. I have been listening to The Archers, I would think, every episode for years, for decades now. I cannot remember the last time that Pat, or anyone else for that matter, mentioned John. So I really don't think that was right, what you said about the fact that John is always being mentioned. But back to Helen, I thought Helen was amazing, the way she coped with what was her final visit to see Rob, no doubt. thought she was so calm and measured, and she did not allow herself to be to lower herself to his level, and although he was goading her and saying, go on, to put a pillow over his face, she didn't do that. And I thought, no, actually, Helen, I think you really had the upper hand at the end there. Yeah, good for you, girl. You did really well. And with any luck, that, that will be him out of her life now. Although, having said that, I'm sure that the after effect, the mental trauma and after effects, will go on for some time but no I, th- I thought she was just incredible anyway that's all best wishes to everyone speak soon thank you for that call Ditsy. and yes obviously i was exaggerating a bit by saying that pat mentions john every month but on the other hand pat and tony do mention john fairly regularly you say you can't remember the last time that this happened let me try and remind you of the last four times at least i can recall it happening and that's over the last couple of years. Going back to August of last year, Pat had a conversation with Peggy. We didn't hear it because Peggy was silent by then. But Pat definitely told Peggy that she still misses John. And Nova looks a lot like John. And I think that was a conversation with Tony. Then in November last year, Tony talked about John because this was, I think, during the run-up to Christmas when David was planning to give him his guitar. And he was talking about his train set. And and Tony's train set used to be John's train set. And and Tony took that on in memory of John because he couldn't bear to throw it out. And then this year, back in March, Tony said that looking after livestock is what got him through John's death. That was possibly in conversation with Brian following Jennifer's death. I can't remember the exact contact. And then the most recent time that anybody mentioned it, it was Tony again, who compared watching Henry and Jack to watching Tom and John. And he told Tom how unfair it was that John had died so that he couldn't continue looking up. And it's that sort of remark that I think is what is 
damaging to Tom and to Helen as well. So it's no, it's not every month. And you're absolutely right to pick me up on, on that. But it is a fairly regular thing. And I do believe that it has had a damaging effect on both Tom and Helen. So go ahead. So in fact, I was going to say that, yeah, I do remember vague, it's implied. So I would go to your defense slightly in saying that there's a lot of the conversations that go on around the farm between Pat and Tony and between Tony and Tom in particular seem to be there's an undercurrent of where John would be or where John was. And maybe that's just my imagination, but I always get that impression that they're, they're thinking of him uh, in the background with the future of the farm. What would John have done? But also your last point, uh, Ditsy, about Helen. Yeah, absolutely amazing actions from Helen in that last episode. Calm, measured, and I think she's finally taken control. I do think, I've, I've said this before, Helen has been remarkably, unexpectedly level-headed about <laughs> Rob's reappearance, certainly when put alongside Pat, and to some extent Tony, but particularly when compared with the way that Pat has been totally over the top and Yeah, but that made me ridiculous. laugh. When, when Pat was being absolutely bloody awful to Joy when she went and she said, oh, so she asked you, I could have slapped her. And then she talked about uh, Tony is always so hysterical. I thought, oh, listen to yourself, woman, listen to yourself. I think the, the contrast between Pat and Tony is that Tony recognised that he's getting hysterical and Pat doesn't. Yes, I, I think that's right. I was wondering whether Helen was bottling stuff up inside and it was all going to go horribly wrong at some point. I think we're now beyond the point at which that can happen. Mm. And she did in not just refusing to smother Rob, but in giving back as good as she got from him in terms of when he was being poisonous about Lee not being there, she was equally poisonous or equally harsh about the fact that neither Bruce nor Miles was there mm. for Rob and that if he was so beloved, why was he dying on his own? In Yeah, I mean, we can, we can say, and... yeah, she was brilliant in it, but we still, I still don't understand why she took a small child who'd made a card to see his dying father and then didn't remind him to bring the card with him. That did seem a bit Weird. strange. Yeah, a bit contorted, let's put it like that. So let's move on to our next call, which starts like this. Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here, wishing all my fellow Americans a very happy Thanksgiving. I was listening to a podcast about the Salem witch trials and learned that the pilgrims and Puritans were not very nice people. We wouldn't want them as our neighbors in Ambridge. Now, on to the important stuff. Thursday and Friday's episodes, which felt more like a one-episode two-parter, will go down in Archer's Lore will be something we refer to for a long, long time. They were set up by Jack's last-minute refusal to see Rob. Helen did give him the opportunity, and now he won't be able to say for the rest of his life to his mother, you never let me see my father on his deathbed. Of course, it neatly set up the return of Helen, homemade card in hand, to see Rob. Upon first listen, to tell you the truth, I was frustrated. It felt very contrived and melodramatic to me. The forgotten card, the nurse practically pushing Helen through the bedroom door and then leaving. Would a nighttime hospice worker without a gap in time really not have been arranged for a man who was on the precipice of death? Then I wanted to yell at Helen through the proverbial radio, turn around and walk out the door, even if you sit in the other room for someone else to arrive. It was like her feet were stuck in cement. But then listening to Thursday's episode back to back with Friday's, Thursdays became the first act of a stage drama, with the curtain coming down for intermission when Rob asks Helen to smother him. The second act, or Friday's episode, was a gripping two-hander, with the power shifting back and forth between Helen and Rob. One thing that stood out to me, Rob acted and reacted to Helen as he did during their marriage. He complimented her and expressed his love toward her, but the moment she said something he didn't like or approve of, or she stood up for herself, that thin veil of love quickly flipped to anger and venom. This time, Helen held firm during the storm, even pointing out how much Rob reminded her of Bruce. That must have stung. 
Helen must have gained some insight over these recent months as she walked out in her terms with her head held high, feeling hungry and ready to eat that fish finger sandwich. Just wanted to mention Pat, so guilt-ridden, feeling the need to protect Helen. Thank God she didn't arrive until after Helen had gotten outside. Helen stood up to Rob by herself. What will happen by Sunday? I suspect Rob will have breathed his last. Hopefully, nothing will happen akin to my Halloween predictions of his resurrection. Please, Rob, you didn't set up your demise to look like Helen did you in. And I hope we will not have Miles or Bruce wanting visitation rights with Jack in the future. May the storyline be truly dead and buried. Talk to you soon. Yes, and so say all of us. Thank you very much for that, Witherspoon. Yeah, I didn't think of it as two acts, but you've obviously brought it all together there. But I did think that the ending of Thursday, as I said earlier, was brilliant in that we understood why it ended so ridiculously dramatically on Thursday with the pillow smothering question. Maybe this storyline is truly dead and buried. Yeah, I, I think we should go with that one as an ending to our discussion of Rob and Helen. Yeah, I think. Rob is gone, but I don't think the storyline quite is. Witherspoon mentioned the possibility of Bruce and Miles seeking visitation rights. They have no rights. No. Even Rob had no rights in this business. The only person in this whole arrangement with rights, as back to, to what Jen was talking about in her call, which we didn't get into too much, is Jack. And any decisions on his contact with anybody are going to be taken in the best interests of Jack. And it's very difficult to see that any contact at all with Miles or with Bruce would be in the best interests of Jack. It would just be a means of them extending that sort of control that they seem to, certainly Bruce and maybe Miles to some extent, that control that they want to exercise over, over other people. That's not in Jack's interests. There's no reason even Helen won't be particularly keen. She's Sometimes be, her behaviour in respect of Rob has been irrational and inexplicable, but it, it has never, that has never extended to, to Miles or to Bruce. So um, I think that there will be a little bit of a coda, and I think that may well be around the circumstances of Rob's death and Miles trying to make a fuss, but it won't yeah. involve Jack. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on then to another call, and this one is from Catherine. Hi there, it's Catherine in the middle of the night again. I'm aware every time I phone it sounds like I've not got my dentures in. Anyway, I have. I think it's because I'm lying down. What a brilliant episode that was last night. I think they should have ended it with her saying goodbye, Rob, and shutting the door. I think the thing with Pat turning up was really strange, wasn't it? As Joy said, she's a grown woman. Piss off. Don't stand there festering around. Or why didn't any of them just text her or ring her to say, your mum's here? The other thing that was strange was the lack of hospice care for Rob or care by anybody. His brother and his dad, well, not his dad, because of course he said goodbye and shook his hand and said, off you go and die or something awful. But his brother, who was so involved with it, not turning up, obviously was a dramatic device, wasn't it? My experience of this kind of situation, end of life situation, is minimal. Surely there was somebody from the health, local health area, or it just seems really strange, put him in some pokey flat that's like a prison cell, and nobody's there at all, apart from some vengeful ex-wife. I really, really thought she was going to kill him. But then I thought, Christ, that's twice that you've been, you'd be involved and they'd find out, wouldn't they, through a post-mortem if they did have one, because of course they might not if they knew he was dying, but uh, that she had suffocated him rather than dying of his disease. But I was absolutely gripped. So well done. And yes, my teeth are in and they're always in. And uh, sorry if I sound so odd, but brilliant, brilliant episode. Thank you very much for that call, Catherine. There's been quite a lot of discussion on social media as well about the apparent lack of care being provided for Rob. I'm not sure that it's that surprising, really. Rob will have been an awful patient. He will have not wanted that sort of care. He'd have sent it away. Bruce would certainly have been telling Rob that he really ought to learn how to die on his own two feet. And given that the hospice support, the palliative care and all of that, they will be massively overstretched like every other part of the health service at the moment. If there is a patient who is not wanting to see them, and they have got other patients who do care, I would have thought that they will do what they need to do, but they won't go out of their way to provide care for somebody who just doesn't want it. Rob took his own decision 
not to be in a hospice. He chose to be in that flat in Pennyhasset, and his family weren't doing anything to support him in that respect. Miles is useless. I th- yeah, My- Miles is absolutely a broken reed in all of this. He has clearly tried to avoid Rob. He keeps promising that he will show up. I think he never had any intention of showing up. I think that he was just doing that to get the nurse off his back or perhaps to give the nurse the excuse to get away. But as Rob said, Miles is always on his way, but he never arrives. So I wasn't struck by that lack of care arrangements as as being unrealistic or anything. I think that if you make yourself a difficult patient, if you don't want that sort of care, then while nurses, professionals, won't want to leave you that way. They have other people to to deal with. And I I don't blame them at all for focusing their time on people who actually want their care and will benefit from it in a way that Rob just won't. Yes, I agree. But I love the fact that Catherine, and yes, we know that you're all your own teeth, hated or was annoyed by Pat as much as I was. Annoying flipping woman. Yes definitely not the sort of person that you want in a crisis. Definitely not. Shall we move on to our final call? And this comes from Jennifer. Hello, Dumpty Dum. This is Jennifer from Brooklyn calling in really way too late for your deadline. But I've been haunted a bit by Jacqueline's question about how veterans were treated in the U.S. And yeah, I'm a daughter of a veteran and stepdaughter of a veteran. And I think about this a lot. And there are a lot of benefits for veterans here. Um, They get a lot of discounts at places. Much of the United States is very supportive of veterans culturally and seems pretty pro-war. But there are a disproportionate amount of veterans in prison and living who are homeless and with mental problems and PTSD. And their needs really aren't met at all. And it, it's really sad and troubling. And we do have such a large military and it, it really depends on people in poverty choosing to join the military, not choosing to join the military because they don't have as many choices in the way I think maybe more poor service members are treated ends up just being a real tragedy for the U.S. So I know this isn't a political podcast, and but you did ask the question, so I did feel like answering. And I just listened to... Friday's episode with Helen meeting Rob. So creepy. I'm so glad she didn't do anything awful. Joy continues to be the best. And I just want to be like Joy this week. Bye, everyone. Thank you very much for that, Jennifer. Yeah, as you say, the politics are complicated and we don't do politics on here. But it is interesting to have the info. And as I am probably going to California in three weeks' time, and I'd be moving into a veteran's and a current army person's house. And no doubt I'll find out more. But I love the end of your call. Yes, be more joy. We had be more Snell a few weeks ago. Be more joy. That's what I'm going to be this week. Yes, we are both going to be more joy this week. Those are the calls. Thank you very much for calling in. We love them. And do call again next week, whether you call this week or not. Now, did we receive any emails or WhatsApp messages this week? Yes, we did. And it goes like this. It's from our very, very faithful Purple Pumpkin. It's Purple Pumpkin here with an email in about end-of-life issues. Like many on the socials, I've been disappointed by the handling of the end of Rob's life. The coercive control storyline was widely admired for its realism and the time it took to develop. But this chapter seems soapy, unrealistic, and as though it's being milked for all possible storylines in very little time. I suspect I was not alone in shouting at the radio when first Miles says that Rob is in his final days and then a nurse is rushing out, leaving Rob to take his last breaths with an ex-wife who was previously tried for stabbing him. Frankly, as explained nicely by the palliative care specialist Dr Catherine Mannix on various radio programmes, when people are in the final stages of dying from what are euphemistically called natural causes, the professionals are able to tell pretty well how close to death they are. No nurse would run out on a man taking his last breaths, and nor would anyone be fooled by pillow suffocation if he was not near that point. I write having seen the end of both my parents' lives, one much too young from a secondary brain tumour, more than 40 years ago, when an injection of perhaps too much morphine was seen as a kind end, 
and the other when he was over 90 and maybe had his last few months unnecessarily extended. I do just wish the Archers had tackled some of these issues more thoughtfully. Keep up the good work. Your loyal listener, Purple Pumpkin. Thank you for that message, Purple Pumpkin. Yes, we discussed it a bit earlier and my view that the lack of care was probably due to the unpleasantness of the patient and the demands on the service, meaning that, yeah, it does seem wrong that a nurse would run out on somebody taking their last breaths. And yes, they could have known how much longer Rob had, had got to go, but there will have been other people. I think she left because she had somebody else to see. She did say that there was some night care from the hospice that might be available. And we, we're just in a position where nurses can't always give the level of care that they want. And of course, we had the discussion earlier about the nature of, of Rob's illness and the impact that has had on the way the story has gone. I, I can understand that you're saying that you wish the Archers had tackled some of these issues more thoughtfully, but at the end of the day, it is a drama series. It's not a documentary. It's not lessons for life. And this was not a story about how to die well. This is no. a story about somebody actually dying quite badly. And as we said before, to the extent that to be seen in dramatic terms as punishment for his evil deeds. There are big issues with that. But I think that the way that it was handled was, well, it, it could have been a lot worse. Shall we say that? Mm. Yeah, ditto. I agree with you. Let's move on to Facebook. And we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest members of our Facebook group, who are Geraldine Anne Lagarde, Bronya Cooper, Peter McFarlane, Tracy Thornton, Mark William Wilcox, Nikki Hodinot and Patsy Bailey. And actually, whilst we've been recording, I've had three requests for three new people who wish to join who did not answer the questions, so I've declined you. That's the lesson to be learned. So what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Rob is here with his review. Hello there, everyone. It's the other much nicer Rob with the social media roundup. And here we go with another look at the comings and goings of the lives of the inhabitants of Ambridge. The latest coming was the owner of the horse that got skewered during the firework party, Harry Chilcott. He was, initially, very snotty when he thought he was dealing with Lillian, but, as Jonah Titchmarsh put it, Lillian was absolutely hopeless in handling that. Surely she has encountered snotty customers before. However, when he found out who the manager actually was, it turned into as Al Williams put it, when Harry met Alice. Charlie Bird said he thought that Harry Chilcott sounds a lot like Rory Stewart, but I can contribute to the debate not knowing who Rory Stewart is. We'll have to see if Harry is the new Chris. Jacob wasn't thrilled with Kate's refusal to have anything to do with Alan and the church, unless it suited him and her sari needs. Chris Gibson pointed out that Kate couldn't upset Grant. Ambridge, the only place in England where middle-aged people are still living under the thumbs of their parents and hundred-year-old grandmothers. But Matthew Elias replied, believe me, it's like this in much of rural England. Chris Gibson was also bemused by another case-inflicted turn of events which led to Jacob coming to a fancy dress party, which, actually, wasn't fancy dress. Jacob, this isn't a fancy dress party. What do I do? Anyone with any sense, turn around. Drive the hundred feet back to your house and get changed. And the goings? Well, we all thought this was going to be the turn of the other nastier Rob, but there was no actual resolution to that storyline. Barbara Hopkins said it beggars belief that Helen would even consider taking Jack to see Rob. She raged over the possibility of Rob being allowed by the courts to see him not that long ago. No way was she ever allowing that to happen. But then, okay, let's buy a card and go and visit. Why would taking a seven-year-old child to meet his evil, dying father ever be a good plan? She constantly goes against everyone's advice because she always knows best. Helen needs to go on a long, long break for all our sakes. But in the end, we were left without a resolution. Unless you count Joy's offer of fish finger butties in the wee small hours, which elicited a creed occur from Al Williams. The most memorable part of tonight's episode was Do you fancy a fish finger butty? Oh, I really fancy a fish finger butty, but I haven't got any fish fingers. Well, sorry, Alf, I've only got half of my supply left as I had fish finger butties for lunch. And that is it for this week. I look forward to another week of fun and frolics on the Dumpty Dum Facebook pages 
and hope to be in touch with all of you. Be warned though, when the chat starts, you can be there for hours. Bye now. Thank you, Rob. And thank you so much to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership question so that we know you're a real person. As Jacqueline has just said, she's had to refuse three applications because they didn't answer those questions. Did we receive any reviews this week, Stephen? No reviews this week, I'm afraid. Maybe next time, please do send some in. Now to Twitter, where you will find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Wenlock House. And I am Jberto Sanguen. We're both spending more time discussing the Archers on Blue Sky, though, where I am at jberto.bsky.social. And I am at wenlock.bsky.social. So let's now find out who has won the Twitter medals this week. Tweet, tweet, pushcat. Or should that be XX these days? Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen, Charlie and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Twitter and Blue Sky, we've seen a lot of discussion of Harry Chilcott and whether he'll be a lasting character. Those who've watched Call the Midwife have recognised him as the rather gorgeous vicar while others thought his voice sounded a bit weaselly and unpleasant. I particularly enjoyed this two-hander on Twitter about his likely trajectory. Charlie Notton, at 19CEN, said, In order to save time, I've immediately done the following regarding Harry Chilcott. 1. Taken and disliked him. 2. Shipped him with Rory. And 3. Decided he'll upset Alice. While Angry Bird Flies, at Rosie Hat 2, replied, Whereas I have 1. Really taken to him. 2. Put him with the good guys. And three decided he'll marry Alice and they'll live happily ever after, running the expanded stables together. Well, we shall see. More prominent in the discussions on both sites was dissatisfaction with the way Rob's demise was being handled, the choice of illness he was given, the way it's progressed, and the way it's being used for dramatic purposes. I have to say my own sense of humour was challenged by some of the things other people felt it funny to say about an admittedly fictional dying man and his fictional traumatised wife. So I apologise to anyone who thinks that that storyline shouldn't appear in this humorous section. But frankly, it was the main topic of conversation, and hopefully you won't feel these choices tread too lightly on the issues. So with that warning, here are my medals for Blue Sky Skeets and X posts, all of which we continue to refer to as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's our own Glyn Fuller love, at glim12gh.bsky.social Kate only needs to make an entrance to make an entrance. The silver medal goes to Patricia at Olympians with, I think, a description from Alice. I'm a divorced alcoholic single mum, but my father used to be loaded. And the gold medal goes to Pickwick the Dodo at Leslie Hustler One, who's channeling Oscar Wilde. To try to kill your husband once may be considered a misfortune. To try twice seems like carelessness. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thank you for that, Theo, and congratulations to all who were mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget we're on Instagram at Dumpty Dum, where Theo also looks after things. We will both be back again next week, and we'll be recording at a normal time first thing on Saturday morning, so please get your calls in by midnight on Friday UK time. Well, as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social medias and support us, Stephen and I in so many invaluable ways, and also to the whole Dumpty Dum community. You make this podcast what it is and worthwhile doing. 
and we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Ormond for their voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. Now we're off to have a fish finger butty. So it's au revoir from me. And it's goodbye from me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.